Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. I want to say what a pleasure it is to be here, be part of a celebration of a newest addition to our congregation, Ivy Joy. What a pleasure. And uh, just want to get right into it. Ephesians chapter 1, first, uh, first eight verses we're going to take a look at. It says, um, oh, here we go. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, he loved us, chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace. He's purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered our kindness. He showered us uh, his kindness on us with all wisdom and understanding. What a beautiful verse there, the verses. Um, and if you would, uh, join me in, in prayer before we get too far into this. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for the, these people you've, uh, Lord, you've chosen that we live in, in this time at the same time in this part of the country and, and in, the, in this body. Lord, thank you for the love between us. Lord, I ask you to, to bless this time. Lord, uh, I pray that you uh, make this clear and your word and your truth be made known. And we pray your blessing over it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I, when I see this, uh, when I look at these first eight verses, you know, the first thing I, I, that strikes me is I say, I say, well, these are beautiful verses. I mean, how... Um, where can you find much more beautiful words than what he's describing here? There's a lot said in these eight verses. And the way he says it is not a lot different than uh, some of the other books that you, or some of the other letters that you see Paul has written, uh, the way he starts and, and the way he presents himself. And so I look at that and I think, well, I'm just curious. I love to look at where, when I look at a letter or a book in the Bible, I want to know who did they write this to? What's this about? Uh, wh who was this person who wrote this? And what was going on at that time? It's just, it's fascinating to me. And of course, we know Paul wrote this letter, and he wrote it around uh, 60 AD, maybe 62. That's what the Bible scholars say. And uh, so it's towards the end of his, you know, about maybe eight or 10 years before he died. And I look at it and I say, hmm, there's a lot written there, but what really strikes me is the demeanor that Paul seems to have when he writes this. I mean, you take a look at this just from a, just from a common sense perspective. This guy is writing this letter. You know, first thing he says is, uh, I'm writing to God's holy people. This is verse 1 in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ. So he's calling them holy people, faithful followers of Christ. He's, he's passing out a compliment there. And then you look at verse 2. He says, may God our Father give you grace and peace. He's saying blessings over them. And you're like, hmm, well, that's, a, that's an indicator of maybe how, fall, how Paul was doing there the, during this time. But let's see what the rest of it says. And he goes on and he talks about all the ways 
that he's thankful. Uh, he talks about God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then he says, before he made the world, he chose us to be in Christ, holy without fault. And that he decided in advance to uh, bring, him, bring us to himself through Christ Jesus. And all these beautiful things. It's obvious, you know, that he's speaking from, uh, you can almost see him smiling as he's written this. Speaking from a position of, of being thankful. And, you know, I understand that God is the, is the author of the Bible. And we, we know that uh, that's obvious. But yet we also know he used man to, to write it out and to pen it out. And we can see how there are examples written in the Bible that relates to, uh, you know, what was going on in their time. And that's why one reason I'm so curious as to what was going on when, when a particular verse is, or letter is written. So I look at this, and, and you can, you know, you, uh, you can get scientific with this, with statement analysis and whatever else, but really, it's just common sense. You talk to someone, and, uh, and they, they say, hey, how are you doing? And, boy, you look great today. You know, they're throwing compliments, and, you know, your family's met so, meant so much to me all these years. And uh, you just conclude, this person feels, feels good. He's doing fine. Uh, and it's, it's the other side of that is what your mama told you when you were little. If someone said something hurtful to you on the playground, you know, your mom would say, honey, it's not so much about what, uh, it's, it's not about what they said. When someone says something hurtful to you, it's really telling you that that person is hurt. But when someone's talking like this, I look at this and I go, wow, Paul must be, he must be really feeling good. So what's going on in Paul's life at this time? We've already said that this is towards... The end of his career, you know, towards the end of his life on earth anyway. Maybe about the last eight or ten years. So I look at this and I say, all right, well, we know Paul was a tent maker. So what, what was going on there? He, he seems to be flying high. Has Paul figured out a really good design? He can make this tent with inexpensive materials. It's great quality. You know, you, it's one of those, you, it just pops up, goes down, keeps you warm at night. And, you know, it keeps the sun off you during the day. Is that what's going on here? Because, you know, uh, Paul, we see in other chapters that he, he didn't like being a burden on, with other churches and what have you financially. And, you know, he was a tent maker. So maybe he's supporting himself just fabulously. Maybe he's making so much money that he's sending others out too. Maybe that's what's going on here. Because when I read this and I look at this, um, I say, well, you know, in today's terms, that, that, that would make sense. But when I look at it a little closer, we, we know, you know, some of the things of Paul's journey. We know that he wrote 2 Corinthians and he describes some of the things that he'd been through. And he wrote 2 Corinthians about, you know, five years or so before this. And Paul talks about, um, he talks about he received 39 lashes. And that's pretty rough stuff, we know, getting 39 lashes. He didn't get it once or twice. He got it five times. Paul. But that's not all. He was, he was three times beaten with rods. This is before he wrote this letter in Ephesians. He, once he was stoned. And we, normally, we know what normally comes after those words when, when someone says that they, you know, someone was stoned. The three words usually follow it. Stoned to death. So, you know, not, not, not a fun time. Uh, and then he says three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole night adrift at sea. And then he said, that aside from that, he's faced many dangers. So, uh, you know, you think, well, hmm, maybe all of that changed. Is that what happened with Ephesians and, and, and all of that changed? And he's just so thankful. Well, 
I look at it a little closer. We know Paul wrote this from jail in Rome. And I just, I, I look at this and I think, wow, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things in this, in this scripture. But I, I just, it, it takes me a while just to get past his demeanor, his, his perspective on life. How does he write like this? How does he, how does he pass out compliments, say blessings to folks? Hasn't said a word about himself. And then he's bubbling over with all the things he's thankful for. And he writes them in such a beautiful way. And, and, and I said before, I know, we all know God is the author of the Bible. But it had to come through Paul. And you can see the perspective or the demeanor when, when he writes it. Now, of course, we are unable to judge people's hearts. Because that's God's job. But we can see indicators. We all do when we're talking to folks. We, we can tell how they're doing. Um, we can read a letter or an email from, sometime, from someone and, and, and tell how they're doing as well. Matter of fact, some of the experts who look at statement analysis, they say that the best way to tell if someone's being truthful or not is by looking at what they, what they write out. So we know there are things we can see from this. Um, and when I think about perspective, you know, I, I, I thought in contrast um, about another, another person. And uh, frankly, I've watched a documentary in the last few weeks and uh, watched one on Evil Knievel. I don't know if you guys remember Evil Knievel, but I'll tell you, for those that are, that are young enough to not know Evil Knievel, Evil Knievel, before X Games, you know, before the motorcycles were jumping and doing flips through the air and, and doing all these crazy things, before the skateboards were doing the same thing and before people were getting on, you know, their snowboards and doing incredible flips and tricks, there was Evil Knievel. In the 70s, Evil Knievel was taking a regular Harley motorcycle, made for the street, wasn't made for jumping. And this guy was jumping like 13, 14 buses. And, you know, really when his career took off the ground is when he was going to jump the Caesars, the fountains at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. And he did jump them all right. He jumped the, the fountains at Caesars Palace, but he didn't land it. And I'm telling you, he broke, he broke almost every bone in his body. But that film of him crashing and rolling over and all that, that's, that's one of the most uh, watched videos, at least from the 70s. Uh, and he became famous instantly. Evil Knievel was traveling all over the country. He even went internationally and um, doing jumps. Evil Knievel got better at, at jumping. And uh, at one time, he was jumping about once a week, and he was clearing about 25000 each week doing these jumps. And that's a lot of money back in the 70s, $25,000 a week. And Evil Knievel um, had two Learjets. When he'd travel around, he, he went around in a Learjet. His crew and whatever were following him, doing whatever. He was in a Learjet. And a reporter asked him, well, why do you have two Learjets? He said, well, when I'm in the air... I want to look over. I want to see that gold and evil Knievel on the other Learjet. And that's why he had two. Uh, you know, so the guy was definitely, if you look at it from a normal port of, point of view, he was, he was on his game. He was very successful. He was doing very well. He was a good speaker. He always had something positive to say. He always talked about patriotism, and he wore red, white, and blue. The guy was at the top of his game, and he decided, I'm going to jump the Grand Canyon. Well, he couldn't get permission to jump the Grand Canyon, so he's going to jump the Snake River Canyon, which is still about a mile. Evil Knievel was getting exactly what he asked for. He's at the top of his game. 
He's got some of the best engineers working for him. He's got a big team. He's not jumping in a motorcycle because that's a long way. He's got this big missile-looking thing. And, um, you know, the press was out there because I said he's at the, he's at the height of his career. Press were out there, and they, they actually went around the country, kind of like these UFC fights, and did press conferences every 30 days for a while leading up to it. And then he's out there. Everybody's out there for weeks setting up the ramp, and he's holding regular press conferences. And an interesting thing happened. You know, about a week before the, the big date when he's about to blast off, Evil Knievel was a little bit different. If you watch the documentary, you'll see what I mean. I, I really enjoyed it. But Evil Knievel, a week before the big date, he wasn't the same guy. He became argumentative. Or once before, he was a master of a, a two-minute speech, and everybody clapped when he left and felt good about themselves. But this time, Evil Knievel was argumentative, he was saying foul language. He was, he was talking uh, bad with reporters and, and stomping out of press conferences. And he, like I said before, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist, no pun intended with this example, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to look at someone's statement and look how they talk and get an indication of how they're feeling at that time. Evil Knievel was obviously uh, maybe fearful, feeling angst, I'm not sure what it was, but it wasn't positive. He was not it. He didn't appear to be at peace. And you know, a good, a good distinction to make here is that I'm not talking about the condition of his soul. I don't know the condition of his soul. That's a way above my pay level. But you can tell when, by talking to someone just what their demeanor is, what their perspective is, and, and how they're feeling. So I, I look at that and I, and I see, well, obviously... Our perspective in life is, isn't dependent on our circumstance. Because in those two contrasts, we see that uh, it, it can be vastly different. And that brings me to bulletin point number one, if you happen to be using those notes. A person's uh, perspective vastly affects your life experience. And, you, and uh, you, know, you look at those two examples, you see it clearly. Paul was in jail. You know, as he said, it was towards the end of his life. He had to know after all he'd been through. He had to know, it, you know, it's possible he may not make it out of that jail cell. And we know that, you know, about eight, ten years later, he didn't make it out of that jail cell. Well, he knew that was a possibility. But this guy is passing out compliments, saying blessings over folks, and he's talking about all the things he's thankful for. He's just over, overflowing with it. Um, and so, when I think about that, I think, well, there are a lot of examples, other examples in the Bible as, as well of people who faced extraordinary circumstances and they had an extraordinary perspective. And we could, we could, you know, we could name them all off. And, uh, but I tell you what, what's interesting is we can look around today and see examples in this, in this lifetime, in our life period. And one of them is... You, I mean, with YouTube and whatever, we could probably find Lord knows how many. But one I want to talk about is Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, but Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was a teenager, she was very athletic. And she loved to, she loved to ride horses. She loved to swim. Uh, and she was into sports and a lot of things. But when she was 17 years old, 
she was out with her friends at the lake, and she didn't realize that the water was more shallow than, than she thought. She dove in the water, and she broke her neck right about here. Johnny Erickson Tata, from 17 years old, was completely paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. Now, she's still alive, but she was paralyzed from, from, from the neck down. And, you know, Johnny says in her own words, she says, I struggled with life after that happened. She wasn't sure if she could face life after that. She didn't know if she wanted to live life after that. And then, then she struggled with God. It's like, God, how, how can this happen? What, what are you doing? Why me? What, what, what's going on here? What, what did I do wrong? Is that what it is? But then she said, at the same time, she's, she's struggling with her paralysis. And she says, like I said in her own words, she, through the years, she learned incrementally, step by step, how to put her full trust in God, even when she didn't understand what was going on. She put her full trust in God. And she began to blossom like a beautiful flower. And see, Johnny Erickson Tata, although she's completely paralyzed from the neck down from age 17, she's written 14 successful books. She's recorded several musical albums. She has a beautiful voice. She's married. Um, but what I, the way I got to know her is that she had a, a very inspirational radio program for more than 30 years, podcast. And, uh, you know, just, just a beautiful story. And there are lots of those. But th we know the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. It's not that Johnny Erickson Tata was someone super special. God, God loves us no more, no less than, than Johnny Erickson Tata. He just wants our, our faith, to, faith and trust in him during the ups and the downs of life. And this brings me to, to bulletin number two, note number two. See, when, when God sees or we see a mess, God sees a message. And I, I have to apologize. I, I was up there typing fast, and I didn't capitalize God, but it is the God. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. But um, when, God see, when we see a mess... God sees a message. So there must be something different about the perspective with Paul and with, and, and with Johnny Erickson Tata. When we see shortcomings, God sees something beautiful. So question is then, what's going on in your life right now? Well, you may say, well, <laughs> are you asking about me? What's going on in your life, Dave Burns? Well... I understand. I know what you mean. I, I mean, you, we're, we're all busy with life, and we just don't, we just don't stop and think about. We, we, there's nothing wrong with being busy. There's lots to do. But how often do we think about what, what's going on in our life, and how do we feel about it? What's our perspective on it? You see, sometimes the, the enemy, because we're not talking about salvation, but the enemy wants us to trudge through life and not, not enjoy life and not see that we are made to live in hope. But let me ask you a goofy question just, uh, just to help 
bring this to light, okay? This is a goofy question, all right? You've got to give me one at least here. So you think when, do you think when, when, uh, you think when, when God looks down and sees Dave Burns and he says, do you think he looks and he's wringing his hands and he says, well, Dave, you know, I really had a good plan for your life. I had a good one. I had some good things planned out for you. And you know what? If you hadn't chose blue instead of yellow or whatever, you know, if you had done this or that, I really had something good. I mean, before the earth was formed, we read some beautiful things in those verses. You know, I, I had a plan for you. But here's another one. All the weather went bad, you know. I, I know this is ridiculous, but it's to prove a point. You know, sometimes uh, if we let those kind of thoughts creep into our mind. We're like, well, if I hadn't been born with uh, whatever, or if I hadn't gotten this really serious diagnosis, or if my spouse was whatever, or if I weren't, weren't dyslexic, you know, whatever it might be, this would be, you know, God's hands wouldn't be tied. And see, we never say that out loud. We wouldn't say that out loud. It's ridiculous. But sometimes we think that way. These thoughts build up in the back of our head. And that's why I'm saying it out loud. We, could, we can think about it. So, like I said, here's, here's just a short list. We, we think, well, if my boss wasn't so whatever, if, if my spouse wasn't whatever, if, if I had a house or if I had a boat, or if I had a camper, or if I had made better grades in school, or if people weren't so hope, uh, hurtful, or, I mean, there's just lots of things. And we, we, don't, we don't say those out loud, but those thoughts creep up in our mind, and it affects the way we, we conduct ourselves. So you might say, some people might say, well, you know what you're talking about here is I've heard that scripture of all things work for the good of those who love them. And you know what? Some people will say, that's just a cop-out. You know, that you're just explaining why God's not doing anything for you. That, that's what that is. Well, you know, I, I guess you could, you could find a cop-out anywhere you look for it enough. But I like the way C.S. Lewis describes it. And... Uh, you throw this this quote up here C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis says hope and and that's what really what we're talking about today right I mean uh, your your expectations your daily expectations with the problems you face that affects and is it's reflected in your perspective so um Hope, or your expectations, C.S. Lewis says, is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continually, continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, and that's what C.S. Lewis said, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But it's one of the things Christians are meant to do. So he's, he's saying that's what we're meant to do. And the enemy wants to shake us off from what we're meant to do. You know, like I said, we're not talking about salvation. We're just talking about day-to-day -day life. But C.S. Lewis says, goes on to say, it doesn't mean that we are to leave this pr uh, present world as it is. 
In other words, here, we've got, we've got things to do. And, and I think that's why the enemy wants to get us off our game. Uh, and it, it starts with your mind. But So, if, and he says, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most about the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. But um, and that brings me to my next point, is, is that God, or faith, hope, all those things, it's, it's not a license to turn your brain off. God gave us, uh, and point number four, he gave us thought and reason for a purpose, to think things through. Most importantly, to think through those things, those obstacles in life from a biblical perspective. In, in other words, in, in the light of the truth, this, like this beautiful truth that we read here in, in Ephesians. And uh, so if, if the uh, musicians, musicians would come forward, I'm, I'm going to uh, go to the last point here. Um, I want to take a look at Romans uh, 4.17, please. So Romans 4.17 says, well, first of all, it's Paul again, and he's writing to the Romans. Uh, this time he's, he's talking about faith, and, but I just love the, the point that he makes at the end uh, into this scripture here. He's talking to them about faith and how important faith is, and he's using it. Abraham is uh, talking through Abraham as an example. But he says, in the second part, he says, this happens because Abraham believed in, in the God who brings back, brings the dead back to life, and he creates new things out of nothing. You know, so many times we, we look at our life and we think, God, I got nothing here. I, this, this horrible thing is happening, and I've got nothing. I, I don't know where this is going. And we struggle to live in hope. But when God sees a blank canvas, what he sees is a, is a beautiful portrait. That's the reality of it. And, um, and that brings me to, to note number four. Uh, bulletin number four note, if you don't mind. It says... Um, Proper perspective brings peace. And you know, you think about that. You, you take it to heart. If you know that no matter what happens, um, like, uh, you know, you've got a foolproof method, method to win this hockey game, no matter what, you've got a secret weapon you're going to pull out in the last period, you're not going to fret any of what's going on during the game. And, of course, you're going to give it your best shot because that's what we're obligated to do. But, uh, when, you know, when you have that biblical perspective or you see life in the light of the truth, then you have peace. And Paul goes on, you know, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and, and in verse 18, if you would pull that up uh, next. Verse uh, 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in his holy people. So what, what Paul is saying is he, he's, he prays that the eyes of your heart are enlightened, enlightened. And we might think that there's no hope in a situation, but it's never hopeless because we are, we're made to live in, in the light of the hope. You see, you, you might see someone and you say, wow, this lady I heard sing, she's got a beautiful voice. She sounds wonderful. That lady was born to sing. Or you might see an athlete, a runner, who runs. There's a, I hear there's a young kid right now that's breaking all the records in the 100-yard dash. You might say, wow, that kid was born to run. But you know what? We, we were born to live in hope. That's where we're supposed to be. We, we were reborn. We were born again to live in hope. That's the natural state for us. That's, that's where we be. And God is worthy of that. He's a worthy pilot uh, of our life. So, you know, you might, you might find yourself in jail. Hope not, like Paul. Or you might get that serious diagnosis as part of life. I guess it's all a matter of time for all of us. Or whatever it might be, a marriage that's struggling or a relationship with your children or, or a close friend. You know, you might find yourself in those situations, but, you know, I, I, I want to take the advice of, from Paul. I want to pray that the eyes of my heart are enlightened so that I know the hope in which I've been called. Because, see, when you live in, in, in the light of the hope of which we've been called, then, then we'll be handing out compliments, no matter what. We'll be in the bottom of a, of a jail cell. We'll be handing out compliments. We'll be saying blessings over others. And you won't be able to shut us up about all the things we're thankful for because we're looking at life's circumstances in the light of the truth. Our current circumstances really aren't based on what we're going through at the time. It, it, it gives us a chance to be able to look at God and say, I'm relying on your character. I'm relying on who you are, God, to get me through everything. And I love what he says in, uh, that Dave brought these verses and that Paul says in verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So in the midst of anything we're going through, it's God's goodness six years ago, and I, I wasn't going to tell you this story when I came up here, but six years ago, uh, Sarah was three months old, and uh, we knew we were going to have another child. And if I could tell you what the last six years in our life has been in our house, um, you would probably go, I can't believe you brought another kid into this world. 
Um, and then we get to the point of ivy joy. Ivy means faithful and trustworthy, and joy, of course, of course, is absolute joy. And so there's this, I don't know if it's a bookend, who knows if God's going to give us another child or, or whatever, but um, through work here, every time we would think that we would have another kid, uh, just something here at work would happen, and then we would find out that Virginia was pregnant and we had a miscarriage. And then we would go through all of these struggles of just going, okay, you th I thought you were going to give us another something. And we get to the point of bringing home Ivy Joy, and then I realize that in this name, it's not about, it's really not about this other, another child. Um, it's about God's goodness. The fact that God is absolutely trustworthy. that God is faithful always, that our hope is found in Him and not in our circumstances. And so I hope that this week you guys can go and you, and you look at these verses and you go, I want to be just as gracious as Paul is in everything I do. Because it's, God, it's because it's God's goodness and His kindness and His grace. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that we have that. And we can have hope for the future. So would you pray with me? God, you are good. I thank you for your words through Dave this morning. That in the midst of whatever is going on, we can... We can point people over and over and over again back to you. That through your son, we have hope. Through you, through you, we see kindness and we see mercy and we see your grace upon our lives. Those, those of us who don't deserve any of it. And you've called us out. And you've chosen us to be your people, to be your church. To do essentially the same thing you're doing to us is to offer kindness and grace and gentleness to other people. And it's because of you, not because we're such some good people, but to keep our eyes on, on the author and perfecter of our faith, the person who gives us hope. God, we thank you for Thank you for newness of life. But God, I also think, I thank you for death. And, and not that you gave it to us. That's not what I'm saying. But God, I, I thank you that through that we can give hope to people. That God, that we can share your gospel everywhere we go. We love you, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.